welcome to the CBSO podcast. My name is Michael Seal. I'm the associate conductor and I am chatting today via the wonder of Zoom with Tom Redmond. And we should have been sharing a stage on the 31st of May for a family concert, uh, family film classics, but we thought we'd talk today about family concerts in general and what it's like to put them together and conduct them and perform in them. Tom, how are you? I'm very well. It's very nice to see you. I'm sorry that we're not uh, in, in Symphony Hall. Uh, I was very much looking forward to that. But other than that, you know, fine. Uh, yeah. Missing audiences, missing music. Yeah, but- absolutely. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I'm, com- I'm missing the whole experience. Um, and also the, for family concerts, that interaction which you and I have, you mainly, because I most of the time I have my back to the audience, but you mainly have with the audience. Uh, family concerts, enjoy them. Do you, do you like doing those? Yes. Uh, yeah, of course. It's, it's, uh, I don't know how to sort of describe it, but it is, it's a joy. Um, the excitement and energy that you get from an audience of well, very young people and, and the parents and guardians who bring them um, is indescribably exciting. And they're also very honest as well. And that's what I think really puts a presenter, a conductor, an orchestra you know, really puts them on their toes because if an audience of very young people don't like it, they let you know very quickly. Um, <laughs> and so you really have to give it your all. And mm. it's a huge responsibility as well because what you want people to go away with is, is an experience they remember, but that you're creating uh, a positive experience of live music, that you're creating a memory that mm. will stay and, and hopefully feed into a lifelong love of, of what we do. Well, I mean, when you come to thinking of a programme, you've got a completely blank canvas. Obviously, with a film concert, I mean, I've done hundreds of them, many with you and, and with Kath Arledge and Alistair Malloy and Rachel Leach. Um, everybody has a, a sort of a, uh, a coat hanger that they hang the concert on, be it a subject. And so the one we were due to be doing was film, but I know you have other subjects as well. Do you have a... Uh, a way of approaching it and thinking, right, I've got to start with this sort of music, I've got to do this in the middle of the concert. You know, how do you go about it? Well, it varies from place to place. And I work with lots of different orchestras and you're given a slightly different brief for each one. Uh, yeah. So family film favourites, actually that was very straightforward because it was all from film and it had to be popular with families. So that's, that's fairly easy to programme. Uh, obviously, you don't want to draw on all the most obvious things uh, and sometimes maybe go on a slight tangent uh, and, and introduce something unexpected but that still turns into a family favorite um i think when i'm putting together something not directly related to film uh i try and think of the moment of most emotion um mm. the eye shine moment if you like the bit that really you know might make people well up that will hit them in an unexpected way uh, and it's normally a very quiet very still moment but to get to that point is always you know a, a great challenge and a great journey so yes you need something that grabs you at the very beginning and then it's that sort of climb 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 at that moment of most energy that you suddenly drop everything to stillness and to calm and it's that bit, I think, when you can really feel that you've got it right. Um, mm. And so for me, I try and think, okay, what, where, where's the emotional heart of this and how am I going to get to it? How do you build an audience up? And then how do you bring them down? And then, of course, send them off um, on a high again. 
So that's my sort of, I suppose, the arc I would normally follow. As you would find in a symphony, in a book, you know, there's always an arc, isn't there, of some sort. And if you take a Mahler symphony, then you think of the beginning of Mahler 5 and then you reach the end and everything that happens in between. So I suppose you're trying to create that same emotional journey uh, through maybe several pieces of four or five minutes each. Yes. Yeah, I mean, Mahler 5 is a good example because would the Adagietta be quite as emotional if it was the second movement and not the fourth? If it came after 15 minutes and not after 35 or 40 minutes? Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, I'm assuming um, that when you do something like a family film uh, classic concert, if you didn't put the main title from Star Wars in, there'd be a lynch mob outside afterwards or um, uh, or other such classics. So you, you sort of have to work around some of those parameters, I'm assuming. Um, yeah, yeah, of course. And, you know, the, the, the clue's in the title for that one, Family <laughs> Favourites. So, uh, yeah, that moment you hear the 20th Century Fox fanfare, although obviously now it's not in Star Wars because Disney bought it, you know, but that, that sort of iconic Alfred Newman sound, people sing that. Once you get an audience for thousands and children singing along to that piece, you know you've got it. And then, of course, straight into Star Wars. Uh, and, and, yeah, the, the cinematic experience is, is there, but without, without the movies. Um, mm. And actually, in that same concert, we were going to do uh, the Charlie Chaplin song, Smile. And so go right back, you know, to the, sort of the, the start of the talkies um, and, and talk about singing, talk about action, talk about the emotion of music uh, and, and thread that through um, some more well-known and contemporary film scores. Mm. When it comes to conducting them, uh, I often have said that these concerts are possibly the hardest you ever get to do <laughs> because, you know... If because it's of an people hour, like me. <laughs> no, no, not because of people like you. Actually, that's almost never been the case. Um, you know, I've been lucky to have worked with people like you and Alistair Malloy and Kath, who I get on with very, very well. And when I first started conducting, in particular, helped me out and sort of letting me know what I should and shouldn't be doing. Um, but what I was going to say was uh, they're the hardest concerts because you end up doing about 10 of them pieces, or often in different genres. If we're not we're just talking a family concert, you know, you might put in a Disney song next to uh, Barbara's Adagio for strings, next to a movement from a Shostakovich symphony, and they're all different genre, all different speeds, all different things. And, and, and as I've often said, you often get them at the very beginning of your career. Um, so therefore, my question to you really is, do you have a sort of role when you come to work with a new conductor and possibly you know somebody young in their career, if they, even if they're not young in age? I found it very good to have a relationship with a presenter. I miss you do as well with a conductor. Uh, yes, uh, it's really, really important. Um, now, I've worked with you many times, and so mm. I know it's trust, isn't it? Um, yeah. you, know, you just you know that the conductor you're working with will get some things. I work a lot with my brother as well. Um, yeah. Of course, that, you're almost second thinking each other a lot of the time. Uh, and so, yeah, it immediately comes down to trust. When you're working with a conductor for the first time, then you need to talk to them, you need to know them a little bit and know sometimes how far you can push them, both in terms of repertoire and maybe also in their theatrical contribution to the, uh, <laughs> yeah. the yes. You know, a family concert is completely different. Uh, yeah. Each one is different and it does change how you might put the concert together. 
Um, so I, I might have one idea at the start of it. Okay, so you've got this arc, you've got this story maybe, and then how do you introduce theatrics into that as well? And, and what could you involve a conductor in? Um, will they be competent to turn around and speak or dance? Or, um, I mean, in, in Jonathan Bloxham's case, when he was the assistant at the CBSO, he ended up uh, dodging trumpet mouthpieces flying in slow motion across the stage and, and participating in some fairly impressive gymnastics. But, you know, I, I had to talk to him about that actually a couple of months beforehand to make sure that he was happy to do that. Um, and it is a big deal, as you say, quite often young conductors at the beginning of their conducting careers will be given a family concert where you do get bleeding chunks of all sorts of music in, in an order that you wouldn't necessarily think of playing or listening to them. So there's a lot for them to take on board with a very limited amount of rehearsal time, isn't there? Uh, well, often. yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, that is the big thing, is that I don't think I've... Uh, possibly with the exception of one orchestra, I've had a, a pre-rehearsal, but mostly it's done on the day, which means yeah. you've got anywhere from an hour and a half to three hours to, to put the programme together... And your and that might include your theatrics. You know, in the middle of a number, yep. you might have people have to come down the front and play the Carnival of Venice, or 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 uh, you know the tuba playing the uh, Flight of the Bumblebee, um, which is always amusing. And and uh, these things need rehearsing. You can't just do them on the drop of a hat no. uh, in the concert. So I mean, I do consider that if, if it's a conductor I've not worked with before, I, I will just sort of test the water a little bit and I might not go sort of all out on uh, on the other side of things if I think mm. it might compromise what they're going to do musically because ultimately that has to be the priority all the way through you know the music will speak for itself but it has to be done really well mm. and so if you start taking away too much rehearsal time uh, to turn it into a into a play uh, then you know <laughs> it starts to have a detrimental effect on that um, but actually that part of engaging the orchestra is really really important because you could put together the programme, you could have an audience sort of enthralled, but if the orchestra don't feel that they're part of it, then I don't think it's as exciting an experience for the audience, and they immediately pick up on that. So, though I'll often tell the orchestra most of what I'll ask them to do, I might not tell them everything, because mm -hmm. that way they, they have to be on their, well, the edge of their seat, really. You know? and, and I think the CBSO know now that, that I'll always maybe just pop something else in at the last minute that, that means that they just have to just give it slightly more attention uh, and, and then it comes to life that little bit more, I think. They might hate me. Yeah, well, I th <laughs> I'm sure they don't hate you for it. Um, but I think it, I think it's a very uh, important thing that the orchestra is involved. As you say, they don't have to necessarily do Mexican waves or hold dance numbers together, but, but as long as they're involved in some way and they're, and they're enjoying it and, uh, yeah. and it comes across and it goes out into the audience that they're enjoying it. I mean, the other thing I was going to throw in as a conductor is that you can never switch off and you've just sort of alluded to it because you never know whether when are the presenter's going to spring something on you as a surprise. But also just in the way of keeping a show like this slick is that you, you know, you don't, you, you never send me a script. I don't get one off anybody else. You just have to be really awake and think, right, we're built, we must be building to the next piece. We must be building and here comes the line and off we go. And there's not much of a gap. You know, and, and there's nothing worse than you, you I'm so, I would imagine there was you turning around and going, and now it's the second movement of Shostakovich 10, and you turn around the conductor sort of fiddling with his score or he's dropped his baton or he's staring at the ceiling. Um, so you do have to be completely much more on it all the way through. They're, quite, they're very tiring concerts. 
Yeah, no, they are. They are. They are exhausting. Um, and actually, that idea of, of of not having a script. I mean, if there are crucial feeder lines, I'd I'd always make sure they were there. But yeah. again, you yeah. can't be too rigid in the scripting because you you don't know how the audience is going to respond. Yeah. Uh, and so, if you're absolutely fixed in the idea of saying this one thing, you, you might find out from your opening link that all right, this is it's either you know it's a tough crowd or oh right, they're really up for it. You know, I can go further with this. And so, you you have to be able to adjust uh, and you adjust what you're doing depending on, on what you're feeling back from the audience. Okay. Uh, so I've always tried not to be too rigid in terms of presenting a, a, a finished typed script uh, because in the end, it, it just sort of holds you back a little bit, doesn't it? So mm. the, what you've just described about being there for, for feeder lines and starting the pieces on time, you know, if, if this was theatre, then you would... You'd have weeks of rehearsal, uh, and you'd have technical crews, and you'd have lighting, and uh, and yeah, you'd you'd have run-throughs where everyone knew exactly which line was going to be delivered next. But the great thing about orchestras is that we normally do that, as you say, in ninety minutes to three hours. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's what makes it so exciting and exhausting at the end of it. Yeah, indeed. Uh, when you pick a new subject or even an old subject that you want to put build your family concert around. Do you have some favourite pieces of music that you like to use to hit them in the between the eyes at the beginning, or you're, to bring a tear to an eye in the middle, or the, the, there's a crucial number which is just one before the finale? I find where you know you it's yeah. got to pick the audience up so that the finale is 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 not a sudden surprise, but we're building back up to the great ending. Do you have certain pieces that you like to use? Yes, I think I do, but for a long time I didn't like to admit it to myself every time I did a program <laughs> or a concert I tried to make it completely different um, yeah. because it in my mind it was it was sort of more interesting for me and it was more interesting for the orchestra um, mm. and I managed to do that for a few years and then I realized it was exhausting for me uh, <laughs> and then the orchestra didn't notice so uh, yeah there were some pieces <laughs> I ended up going back to more and more um, I mean, there are some that really grab you. Um, there are bits of Wagner that always stand out. You know, the prelude to Act Three of Lohengrin. You know, there's just so much energy and sort of whoosh in that from the opening notes that you you it, it grabs you. Um, actually, Flying Dutchman, the overture from there as well, is another uh, grabber. Um, there are bits of Sibelius. Um, mm. I'm a, a huge fan of Sibelius. The end of the Fifth Symphony. Um, and we've done Vals Trees together as well, haven't we? Yes. Um, yeah. Bits of Corellia, just the description of landscapes he uses in that and the way he, he brings sort of nature to life. Um, he's a composer I, I turn to a lot. And he's not always one that you would immediately put in a family concert, um, but it works because his music is so brilliant. Um, Mahler, we mentioned the Adagietto from the Fifth Symphony. Um, is a perfect sort of moment of calm. It's difficult to put much more Mahler in because he writes for such a vast yeah. orchestra and you, you don't always get given those for a family concert. Um, yeah, it's too, too big and too long and very difficult to cut into a sort of chunk yeah, which you can yeah. use. He didn't have those four-minute chunks of music in mind, did he? No. But I think something that was really important to me is that it's always the sort of core repertoire um, and though, you know, the, the, I will go down the sort of the, the more popular route, if you like, and film music I'm a huge fan of, it doesn't have to 
go to arrangements or, or specially created pieces for a family. I think, you know, th there's such a lot of music in four or 500 years of orchestral repertoire that you can just draw on that because that's what an orchestra does best. Um, mm. So I try as much as I can to, to stick to those pieces that I love. And quite often it'll be something I've just heard, either on the radio if I'm driving or a piece I've played, and it suddenly grabs you and you go, yeah, I can, I can see how this would go there. Um, mm. I've been trying to get Sospirian for years, my Elgar, oh, yeah. um, as, as a moment of stillness. But it's, um, it's finding, finding the right thing to go before it uh, and the right context for the concert as well. But I'll get there mm. eventually. <laughs> but what about um, you? I mean, what's your, what's your method? What are your thoughts on how you would program something like that or, or that sort of arc of emotion? Or what are your favourites? What should I avoid? I don't, I'm not sure there's anything you should avoid. I mean, the question I, or what, what you've sort of led on to is that when we've done things like key stage concerts, more often than not, well, in fact, every time you and I have done one, there's been a piece that's been written in the last 10 years or so, which is frankly normally bloody difficult or to put to, to rehearse in, in an hour and a half. Um, and and, uh, and that my question was going to be, you know, whether that's something you would avoid for a family concert, or whether you there are pieces you think, do you know what, this may be difficult, but actually I think they'd love this. Um, I mean, I I don't think you should shy away from any music in a family concert at all. I, I think the the way it's paced, uh, whether all of the people I've worked with has been really really good, and the choices are very good. Um, you know, the, as I said earlier on, there are I think there are three or four crucial pieces to get right which is the, the opening number you've got to grab them immediately and for those that child who's never been in symphony hall before and then you you come crashing in you know i mentioned the main title from star wars but it could be the wagner lone grin um for them to suddenly be pinned to the back of their chair and their eyes wide open and their mouth their jaw slack open with amazement that's the that's an important one i think that the well how you how do you describe it the emotional heart of the of the concert, even if it's not absolutely 50% of the way through, even if it's two thirds of the way through, I think that's a crucial choice. And the one I, I when I've put together film music concerts, I was due to be doing one in Trondheim last week. And the one I always struggle with is the number before the finale, because you've got, you can't choose two finale pieces, if you know what I mean. I think you, there has yep. to be a number that, that that gets the audience away from the emotion and go, right, now back to where we were, and now let's build a bit. And that, that's always a tough choice. And more often than not, the finale then, after if, after you've chosen the one before the end, then the last piece sort of leaps off the page. Um, but it is an art. It really is an art. Uh, I know my, my very good friend, and you, you will know him as well, Alistair Malloy, when he's worked in places like Hong Kong with the Sinfonietta, he's actually held seminars with management teams there talking about the art of building programs just for family and school because it's it's yep. tough. It's tough. But if you get it right, it's wonderful because you've got them that you've got this, you know, this energy in the room. People who just want to be fed more music. Yes. And and when you get it, you you know. Uh, mm. And that's an amazing feeling, uh, you know, the, the response you get from the audience when it's right um, yeah, yeah. is good. You know, it's why we do what we do, isn't it? Well, um, I mean, uh, the interesting thing about family concerts, and, and I'm not here to plug a certain other podcast that I may or may not be involved with. But during the interviews that I have done over lockdown, um, at least five of those conductors have said the, the moment they decided they wanted to be in music for the rest of their life was when 
they went to a family concert. Andrew Lytton went to see a Bernstein concert with the New York Philharmonic. He walked out of there and said, I want to do that. I want to conduct. Um, somebody I spoke to the other day went to one in London. They walked out there and said, I want to play the trumpet, Mum and Dad. Buy me a trumpet. And that from the age of 10, and it could be their life. And I think that's it's it's important that we do them. But if you program it wrong, it won't work. You, you won't, you see, you're not going to get... Yeah. It's an interesting point you just made, because, you see, I vividly remember my yeah. first orchestral experience, and I hated it. Uh, <laughs> Completely <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I sort of came away and I mean, we went to watch, my brother was playing in a youth orchestra, one of my brothers, and um, so we went, to, um, we went to watch that and um, I came away and I just, I was adamant that I never wanted to hear any of that stuff again because I was so bored. Um, but at the end of it, then I added, but I, I did want to play that instrument at the back. And my, and my yeah. parents said, well, what do you mean? You said you were bored. Yeah, yeah, I was, but I do want to play the horn. Um, so, so something happened. Yeah. Um, uh, but I, I don't remember enjoying that concert experience. But then I was very young and it was a very long piece. Um, yeah. And maybe in some way that's fed into what I have gone on to do, which is to, to try and find a way to, to make those first experiences far more um, well, memorable for the right reasons, I would hope. Uh, but it's interesting, I've got four children um, and having taken them to concerts and they've come to see you know, stuff I've done and, and many other people. The thing that always grabs them more is the, if we go and see theatre, the sort of the physicality of theatre. Um, and so that's really influenced the way I think about stuff uh, and how I present things. Not to take away from the music, but if you can, yeah, use more than just words to introduce it. If, if yeah, basically, if you can, if you can physicalize, if an audience can can be more involved in, in a physical way rather than just sitting, I think yes. again the experience becomes more memorable and less sitting still. I, I mean, it's always been a pet hate of mine. It's, it's particularly in schools concerts, and you will see teachers telling children to sit very still, bolt upright, don't move. You know, you're here representing your school. Um, yeah, but it's a very natural instinct to want to move and to dance to music, isn't it? I don't think we should try and you know, stop that from happening. If someone suddenly wants to get up and leap when they hear a piece, then so, there, so be it. Um, yeah. Why take away that, that natural feeling, that natural joy? Well, if you put a piece of music in there that's particularly dancey, I would hope that they would want to move. Yeah. That's the point of the music. <laughs> yeah. uh, going back one, uh, two or three minutes, you mentioned about the, the fact that you hated the first time that it was a, <laughs> that you went to a concert. Was it because it, was a, uh, it wasn't a concert like a family concert? And wherefore, what, what I mean by that is that you know, the format is lots of small pieces. Yeah. Uh, and what my question really is, do you have a time limit on a piece of music that you think, <laughs> right, I cannot have anything longer than eight minutes long? Um, I mean, I, I chose that number randomly, and I already think that's way too long anyway. But, you know, do you have the longest number? Yeah, it, I mean, it would depend on the audience, the, the, the age that you're pitching at. So a family yeah. concert... You know, there could be anything from newborn up to great grandparent. Um, yes. And so, in that setting, I would normally sit with a limit of about four or five minutes. Um, 
for a school's concert, a key stage three or key stage four, obviously slightly more involved. And so you can go further, uh, go longer, depending, mm. you know, what the piece is. Um, having said that, I think if you introduce the piece in the right way, uh, no matter what the setting, if you get that introduction, right, if you draw the audience into whatever the story is of it, and then let the music carry that on, then I don't think duration's as much of an issue. But I wouldn't necessarily just put a symphony on and off you go, uh, because that's, <laughs> that's, that's what turned me off in the first place. Um, so no, I, I would say, yeah, that sort of four or five minute window. Um, and, and there's so much music that conveniently sits in that duration. And it means you can cover far more as well in terms yeah. of introducing different ideas, different styles that might just click with someone. What subjects for family concerts have you got coming up in the future when we all return? <laughs> have you got some new ones that your, your ideas are bubbling away while we're locked, locked away? Yeah, they are. Um, yeah, next year with the CBSO, um, we've got some concerts themed around nature. You know, because mm. we've programmed this before the lockdown began, and since we have all been at home, um, I've just been so much more aware, particularly of birdsong, of just your surroundings. So it's sort of even more poignant now that we should have that as a subject when we come back. But the Imagine Music is influenced by nature um, or composers who were amongst nature when they wrote, you know, and, and that sort of primal sound of the outdoors. Mm. Um, I've been listening to birds much, much more. Just, you know, the range of sounds. It is almost symphonic in scale. Uh, so, yeah, that's one for, for the CBSO. Um, then I've got some family concerts that I'm writing with my brother. But actually, in some ways, this stillness has almost made it harder to think. You know, it, it's been difficult sometimes to find that energy to put something together. Um, I, I've found it quite difficult to listen to music sometimes. Just, you know, it's great to hear recordings. It's great to see people on screens. but But... I've missed the sound of people, of being mm. amongst them. And, and it, yeah, tragedy has actually slowed down my, my creativity. Oh, I agree. I, I completely agree. I mean, my desk, I'm sitting in my study here and I've got three desks in my study that are all in a long line. One I sit at the computer at, one I do my marking scores at, and the other one is full of scores. And there's one score on that desk because all the others have gone back on the shelf because of cancellations of work. And I haven't opened that score. I can't open that score. Uh, it's, it's for a CBSA Youth Orchestra project in February. And, yeah, I, my, my brain in the... You know, we, we, when we were busy working, we'd have clamoured for 24 hours off to sit and do nothing. And now we've got all this time. I'm not, I'm not looking at scores at all. I don't want to open it up. Um, I, I mean, I will. One, um, but, yeah, it, it has sort of slowed down the mental processes a bit and... Um, occasionally now when it would have been something I did all of the time but now it's just a, an occasional thing um, it, the body has or the mind has slowed down definitely yeah well, you're working well day to day consecutive months sometimes you, you do wait for that moment where there is you know just a moment of stillness uh, but yeah it's been a very odd feeling mm. you know normally 
I suppose that some of my best ideas happen when I'm on the fly or on the move uh, and you're on a train and you suddenly say, yes, that's the one. And you start writing it down and it all just comes pouring out. Or I'll, I'll be watching a concert somewhere and there'll be one bit in the middle and, and just hearing one piece or seeing an audience's reaction to something is then suddenly the spark I need and it puts something else together. Um, mm. And so I think it's, it's yeah missing all those external influences that will often impact on, on how I put something together. Um, just yeah seeing the way someone moves or you know someone falling uh I don't, I don't spend my time looking for people falling over but you know, <laughs> you know if something funny happens one of the children trips over in the garden you think well that's interesting you look at the way they fell over there and that could turn into that and oh, imagine if you did that to that piece of music uh, and and those things you know start to grow from there but maybe it's the fact that you know, the most excitement of the week is standing in a queue outside the supermarket. You know, there, there aren't many family concerts built around that, are there? Um, no. <laughs> and a good job, too. Yes. <laughs> um, Mike, it's really nice to talk to you. Uh, yeah, and you. And I hope... Sorry, we finished on a bit of a doom and gloom there. That was like the before <laughs> the final number, wasn't it? Yeah, well, yeah. But, well, maybe that was the uh, the water in the eye moment of yes, this podcast. There you go. Yes. And now we need to build up to an ending. Um, <laughs> Apart from, you know, the sound of an orchestra playing again, what are you looking forward to the most when you go back? It is the interacting with musicians and then uh, playing to a live audience. But it's only the shame for being a player to a conductor is that, you know, I went from somebody who didn't like to rehearse at all to somebody who who enjoys the rehearsal process. And I enjoy interacting with orchestras and putting a concert together and getting it up to that ready state of readiness whether it be in three days rehearsal or three hours rehearsal, that it's still a process that I love. And I think that's what I've, I'm, gonna, I'm looking forward to the most. And then being able to play to uh, an audience. Um, and, and I think I am looking forward to that busyness of life that you were just talking about, you know. Yeah, I look back now and think, how was I fitting all of that in? How, how was I, you know, spending a day learning all of those scores whilst, you know, on the phone to my agent, whilst getting on a train to go to Glasgow and do a week's work, whilst I was writing music a lot just before all of this stopped, which I've completely stopped doing. Um, all, how was I doing all of that? And I'm, I'm looking forward to discovering again how I did it all and whether I can do it again. Um, and, and interacting, you know, in a way as we are doing right now, talking about music and concerts and uh, and how it impacts on the public. Because at the moment, I, I feel lost from that. I think that that will come back, and it will come in a way even more vibrant, I think, than it was before. Because I think people have had a chance to sit and take stock. We were on this huge hamster wheel of life, running in various speeds, doing our things. Uh, and it's all been made to stop, and I think it's it's forced everybody to think about it um, more. So I'm looking forward to getting back on the hamster wheel and and enjoying the enjoying the run again. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, going back to it and, and knowing <laughs> it can be grueling at times, can't it? But actually, yeah, yeah uh, I'd I'd love to get the wheel going again, and and yeah. just you know, it it's feeling. You know, the, the physical sensation of music being played around you. That's what I've missed. Uh, yeah. And, and oh. so, you know, recordings of the greatest quality with the best headphones in the world, it's just not the same. And it's that. I, I cannot wait for that feeling, those vibrations, that sort of sonic boom of an orchestra hitting you. Uh, and the excitement that actually there's going to be an audience of, 
of children who haven't heard that before that they're going to get that and actually having missed it for as long as I have uh, it sort of spurs me on that little bit more to try and get more people to hear it and get mm. that sort of whoosh of what a live orchestra can sound like. Totally agree and uh, and I hope to be with you doing it very soon. <laughs> yeah Mike nice to see you. And you Tom brilliant.